Too many times we stand aside and let the waters slip away. To what we put off to tomorrow has finally come today. So don't stand upon the shoreline and say you're satisfied. And choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, I am the blind blogger, Maxwell Ivey, and this is another episode of What's Your Excuse, where I will hope to help you explode those excuses that are keeping you from accomplishing your big goals and dreams. And I'm going to do that by bringing you amazing interviews with people who have overcome adversity or thrived in spite of difficult life circumstances, uh, others who have struck out on their own and started a unique, unusual new business, experts who have... Uh, advice and suggestions that we know work because they've been practiced and used in the real world or people I just happen to find interesting, inspiring, motivating people I want to talk to myself. So you can find me and the show at theblindblogger.net. You can also find it by saying, Alexa, start the blind blogger or uh, okay, Google, uh, talk to the blind blogger. Thanks to my... Yeah, I I appreciate that, Alexa. Thank you, um, and th- and thankfully, my uh, my friend and sponsor of the show, Chip Edwards, and his wife Pam at Create My Voice have helped me get my blog and my podcast set up where they can be found, discovered, listened to, appreciated on um, the wireless speaker devices. And uh, there's really, it's a huge exploding market out there. And if you're not available where people can listen to you in their car while they're cooking, doing their chores, uh, driving to and from work, then you're missing a big chance to reach a lot of people who may need to, and to hear what you have to say. Or in my case, I want to give my guests the opportunity to reach as many people as possible. So uh, you, know, you know where to go to do that. I don't want to say her name again because she will get on, on the audio again. Um, today, I'm having a I'm having a guy, he was on, I was on his podcast just recently. His name is uh, Bob Thibodeau. He is a uh, minister, motivational speaker, author, uh, radio host, and owner of a radio network. Um, I'm going to let him tell you more about himself. You can find him at bobthibodeau.com. And uh, looking forward to having a great conversation, having y'all learn from his experiences. Um he started off as a drill instructor in the military, proceeded to be a police officer, was injured, and went on disability. And then while he was on disability or transitioning away from the police, he he started his own new thing, radio podcasting. And I'm looking forward to him sharing that with y'all and hopefully encouraging some of you who've been thinking about a podcast actually doing something about it. So, Bob, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem, man. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, the interview we had was awesome. And I just hope that I can provide as much value as you did to your listeners as you gave to ours. Well, I'm sure you will. Um, because, you know, we, we talked for about 30 minutes before you press record. And I wish I could have that audio back because then I wouldn't even have to do an interview because that was some great stuff. So, <laughs> Amen. Amen. One of these days, I'm gonna. One of these days, I'm gonna hire an editor, and I'm just gonna start recording everything, and then I'll let them figure out what what stays and what goes, and what ends up in the bonus audio that people have to subscribe for, and all that good stuff. So, 
since now that I've messed up your bio, why don't you tell people a little <laughs> bit more about yourself and how you came to be a, a radio host, a podcaster, and owner of your own network? All right. Well, uh, I'll start off by just giving the summary of my background, I guess you could say. Uh, the What I do now is because the Lord brought me through a dark period of my life. And uh, that's basically the foundation that got me to where I am today. So in order to understand where we're at today and what we're doing and, and how the Lord is using us, uh, it started, you know, all I ever wanted to do starting about ninth grade was to go in the army. Uh, that's, that was my life's dream, make that a career. Uh, so as soon as I could uh, in my senior year, I enlisted nine months prior to graduation. And 10 days after graduating from high school, I went on active duty, went to basic training, and I just loved it. Uh, I even loved basic training. That's how weird my mind was. Right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I applied myself and, I, you know, was promoted ahead of my peers. I loved my job, loved everything about it. And about, oh, I guess six, seven years in, I got selected for drill sergeant status. I guess about six years in, I got selected for drill sergeant status. And that was awesome. Uh, I had excelled when I was, before that, I had excelled when I was at the NCO Academy. And I was the first person in the history of the United States 8th U.S. Army NCO Academy to achieve 100% rating all the way through it in every wow. three different areas they graded. Um, so that, you know, helped out a little bit in, in my uh, promotions and, and favor, I guess you could say. And I was selected for drill sergeant status. And I absolutely loved drill sergeant status. That was one of the best jobs I ever had. My first day there, when I reported in, the senior drill sergeant pulled me aside. He goes, okay, you can do anything you want to them. Just don't put them in the hospital. I mean, <laughs> what kind of guidance is that, right? That was awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, I got to yell and make people's life miserable and got paid extra for doing it. It was just a great job. <laughs> but as I was winding up my drill sergeant time, I was looking at the pay charts one day and realized that a captain that had four years prior service as an enlisted, which if I became commissioned, I would definitely qualify for that, made over $400 more per month at retirement than a sergeant major did. And I was definitely on track for sergeant major, but I'm looking, wow, $400, that's like a car payment, you know? So I decided to go for the big bucks. Now, I had pieced together, and I say pieced together, I mean pieced together one class at a time, uh, sometimes one or two classes in a year. I mean, that was about the, the maximum of my education college experience on that. But over the course of about uh, eight years, I had pieced together a, an associate's degree of general studies. Right? Not, not a big thing, but it was enough to get me qualified to apply for officer candidate school. So I did because everybody in the military, every officer made captain. It was just almost a given unless you got caught with the general's daughter or something like that. Uh, so I applied, was accepted, completed officer candidate training, got commissioned in June of 1986 and became a cavalry officer. And I loved that job as well. Uh, that was, that was just a great time. Uh, I got along great with, all of the guys, because of my enlisted experience, I could relate to what they were needing and where they were coming from. I got along great with my fellow P 
peer officers. Uh, but, you know, the upper echelon, you know, the colonel, the major, uh, a couple of the captains that were West Point graduates, you know, they didn't too much like me. Uh, I had a new captain come in and he said that the, the colonel, when he's briefing him on the officers he's going to be in charge of, uh, when he got to me, he basically said, uh, Lieutenant Thibodeau is kind of like a, an NCO impersonating an officer. Right? So that was, that was his description of me. Well, at the time, there were two Passovers given for captains, six months apart. Uh, what we call Passovers are two selection boards. And I knew because I was competing with, I had gotten commissioned in June of 1986. So I was competing against all the West Point graduates, all the ROTC graduates. I knew I wasn't going to make that Passover. Uh, but the next one, six months later, it was a piece of cake. It wasn't a problem. We kept waiting for the list to come out. And in July of 1989, I got called into the colonel's office. Oh, there it is. The list came out. He's going to tell me I didn't make it. I walked in, he said, Bob, you didn't make the list. No problem, sir. I got the next one. I, was, I wasn't expecting this one. He goes, there isn't going to be a next one. The secretary of the army has said they had too many people in the military or in the army. So he had waived the second Passover for captain. You have to get out. So I had 10 days notice that my military career was over. Uh, and this is something I had given my heart to, basically. And that was hard. Uh, you know, I could have gone back on enlisted status, but that would have meant a 40% pay cut for the family. Out. I wasn't going to do that. Uh, so I got out. That was the end of my military career. Uh, the day I signed out, packed the family up, we went to Disney World for a week. Because I, <laughs> you, you got to understand my mindset. If I, I can't even tell you how many anniversaries, how many birthdays, how many special events I missed because I was a soldier first. And I used to tell my wife that all the time. I married the army before I married you. And that was, that's how dedicated I was. So you can imagine to be told you got 10 days to say goodbye. You know, this is like, you know, coming home and having your wife say, I'm getting a divorce. <clears throat> I mean, it, it was that, that traumatic to me. And I started drinking heavy. I was drinking before, but I really started drinking heavy then. Uh, coming back from Disney World, I realized I don't even have a career. I don't, I don't have any plans. What am I going to do? So I end up becoming a life insurance agent just to try and put some meat on the table. And I found out I was good at it. So good that in two years, I had my own agency. And three years after that, I was the number two ranked agency in the nation for the company I was working with. And all that was going along fairly well until uh, the Gulf Wars started and the bases packed up and moved 6,000 miles away. Real hard to sell insurance when there's nobody home, right? <laughs> and that started the downward spiral all over again. You know, we started using credit cards to keep the bills paid and then we couldn't pay the credit cards. And it, it just got to be pretty bad. I decided, well, I got to go somewhere where there's still people that I can sell insurance to. So I decided to go to a training base. I moved, we were, at the time we were in uh, Leesville, Louisiana, outside Fort Polk. I left my family there. I moved to Fort Benning, Georgia in a little dumpy apartment just to sell some insurance and, and try and catch things up. I moved there January 1st, 1992. 
by January 25th, 1992, I had sold zero, nothing. Uh. And I was talking to my wife on the phone and she said she got a notice that the lights are going to be turned off. We're already two months behind on the mortgage. And she said, I, I ran out of money. I don't have any more money to put gas in the car. I don't have money to buy kids food. What are we going to do? And I said, I, I really don't know. Uh, I don't know. And this was about 1120 at night. Now she had been born again about four years prior to that. Not me. Uh, she used to hold a pastor, uh, invite her pastor over, and they'd do a Bible study out in the kitchen. I'd be out on the deck having a, a drinking party. Right? I mean, I, I was just that that far gone. Uh, if you would have looked up in the dictionary at the time, uh, the word heathen, it had, had my picture next to it. <laughs> and, but anyway, I went into this little bedroom after I hung up the phone with her, and I just started crying my eyes out because I was – at a law, that, that was it. I, I'm a bit, I had hit bottom. And I didn't have a bed. I didn't have a dresser or anything. I was sleeping on the floor with a blanket. My dresser was the box that I used to carry everything in it. Now, at some point during that year, I had started reading my grandfather's Bible. Why? I don't know. Maybe it was just to appease my wife. Uh, but I had gotten into the habit of reading there was in the front of the it was my, in the front of my grandfather's Bible. There was two or three columns, and you could pick any one of those to read the Bible through in a year. And I had chosen to read two of those columns in the morning and one in the evening before I went to bed. Well, as I was crying, you know, I just looked up and and I basically told God, I said, "Look, I'm done. I can't do this anymore." And as I was saying that, the thought came: if you commit suicide. They can use the money to catch up all the bills, pay off the house, and they'll know how much you love them. And I think, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I just made the decision. And uh, the thing was, I loved my kids so much. They were young at the time that I wanted to tell them goodbye and how much I did love them. So I said, tomorrow, because they were, you know, it's 1130 at night when this was going on. They were already in bed. I said, tomorrow. When they get home from school, I'll call them in the afternoon, and then that'll be it. So I was praying to God. I said, if, if you can do anything to fix this situation, you got to act now because I'm done with it. I'm not dealing with this anymore. I went to lay down, and when I lay down, the light shining through Venetian blinds, the light from outside shone right on the Bible sitting there. And I'm laying there, oh. I forgot to read my scripture. So I got up, opened the Bible up and that night. That night, I was supposed to read Psalms 34. And I got down to verse 7. I said, the Lord has heard this poor man cry and shall deliver him from all his troubles. And when I read that, it felt like hot oil. was, And I can feel it right now. It's just pouring from my head all over my body. And I started laughing. I started crying all at the same time. And I knew I'd been born again at that very instant, and that I had such peace, that depression, that guilt, that hopelessness had lifted. It was gone. And I got up and called my wife and told her, guess what just happened to me, right? <laughs> and she started crying because she'd been praying for this for four years. And I told her, at the end of the month, I'm coming home. I can be just as broke at home with you and the kids as I can <laughs> So between January 25th and January 31st, I sold enough insurance to pay all my expenses in Georgia 
and begin to catch up the bills at home. And from that time on, you know, it was just, uh, just a miracle after miracle as we got going through this. Well, uh, we moved to Colleen, Texas. That's when I end up opening the insurance agency and, and grew that. Everything was going along good until some things happened at the home office where they were cutting our commissions and all this. And, and it, I just, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. It had been five, six years, and I was sick of it. So I said, I want, I'm going to become a cop. You know, my uncle was a police officer, and I had been told I would worked uh, in the local town in Louisiana as like a reserve police officer. Right. I kept telling him, Bob, you, you need to go to the academy. You'd be awesome at this. So during the process, we moved to Baltimore. My daughter had married a guy from Baltimore when, she, when he was in the military at Fort Hood. She met him there and moved out here. And, you know, before I did all that, I went to Bible school for a couple of years up in Crowley, Texas, just south of Fort Worth. And I just graduated and I said, you know what, if we're going to start over now, it's time to, time to keep the family together. So we all moved to Baltimore, Maryland. And as soon as I got here, uh, I started applying for police academies. And it was a couple of years uh, because, you know, they only hold them once a year. And so I had another job, which was a blessing. You know, from the moment I got to Baltimore, we've been blessed. Even though I don't like Maryland, despise Maryland, but I don't move because this is where the blessing is. And, and just like in uh, Elijah, when he went and did what the Lord told him to do, talking to King Ahab, and, you know, when he left, he said, it's not going to rain till I say so. Then he turned around and walked away. He didn't go home, kick it up his feet. The Lord told him, you know, didn't tell him, good job, man. You, you could take it easy now. He told him, run, you know, go, go over there. Your provision is over there. And he could have said, I don't want to. I want to stay here. And it had been up to him. But his blessing and his provision was there. Well, Baltimore is my place called there. This is where the blessing has been. So we, uh, we got a good job and ended up buying a house and, catching up the bills and everything like that. And I got accepted to the police academy and life was just grand. I enjoyed that job just under what I enjoyed my military time, but it's the same type of environment. And that was awesome. And then May 12th, well, put it like this. And I was a runner from the time I was in the military. I loved running. I would run 10 miles on a Saturday just because I had nothing to do. Right. I mean, it was that type of type of thing. Uh, I ran the Baltimore Marathon in 2016, took off, it was late October 2016, so I took off all of November, all of December to let my body recover. January, I started training for the next Baltimore Marathon, which was in 2017. May 12, 2017, I ran uh, about nine miles at a seven and a half minute pace. Came home, showered, went to work that night, I worked midnights. And we had one of those uh, huge rainstorms coming in. And we had a big accident out on the highway. My job was basically highway patrol. While working that accident scene on May 12, 2007, uh, I ended up getting hurt in an accident as well. And that ended my running. And not just that, but, uh, well, put it like this. From May 12, 2007 till today, I've had 32 different medical procedures on my knee, um, my right knee, my hips, my back, uh, my wrist, and that took me off, that, that, that started a downward spiral again, because they started talking about, well, you might not be able to do this job anymore. 
and I had already started over three times now. I was, at the time, I was 52, 53 years old. I was like, Lord, I'm getting too old to start this again. And it, you know, had, it was, it was becoming a dark place again with, because of the surgeries and the, the, the pain medicines they had me on. I was taking four different types of medication uh, for the pain and various things. And three of them were at the maximum dose authorized by the FDA. If they had given me just five milligrams more, it, the insurance company would consider it experimental and wouldn't be covered. Uh, so I was, these were such strong, a couple of them were narcotics, but such strong medicines that I couldn't take them together. I'd take like one every four or five hours during the day. And as soon as I'd take it, about 20 minutes later, I was knocked out. I mean, it, it, I had to go lay down. That was my life. And one day while I was recovering from uh, surgery and I had, uh, it had been, oh, about six weeks since a knee surgery. And I was just sitting in the computer, couldn't walk around. I was basically living in our basement because I couldn't handle going up and down the stairs. So I just stayed in the basement uh, in the bedroom downstairs. And I was sitting at the computer and I asked the Lord, you know, what do you want me to do? You know, because the way that it had been processing was I'd have a surgery, take, you know, six weeks to recover, go back to work and get in a foot chase or whatever would happen and something else would go wrong and then they'd be on light duty and then a scheduled for a surgery and the whole process would just kept repeating over and over. But I would always fight back to come back to work. And one day I was sitting at the computer after the, recently after a surgery and unable to walk around or get outside or do anything. I said, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Do you want me to keep fighting this or what? And it just came to me. Just trust me. So, okay, what do you want me to do? Why don't you begin a weekly 30-minute online radio program? Now, today we call it a podcast, as you alluded to in the introduction. I had no idea what he was talking about. I had to have help checking email. Okay, this is how much of a faith walk the Lord took in calling me. All right. So I said, well, can't do nothing else. So I started teaching myself what this was all about. And in the process of time, within well, a month or so, I had my podcast up and running. Like I said, I didn't know it was, I never called it a podcast, call it my online radio program. About four months into that, this would have been, uh, November, December of 2009, about four months into that, I got an email from Wilkins Communications. They were a radio conglomerate. Uh, they had at the time, something like 10 or 12 AM radio stations across the United States. And I got this email said, we've heard your podcast and we think you'd be a good fit for our radio station. That's the first time I'd ever heard it called a podcast. <laughs> and they said, well, how would you like to be on nationwide AM radio? this is the Lord's work. Yes. Amen. You know, <laughs> and the, <clears throat> now was said, this, yeah. oppor was this opportunity free? Because I get a lot of those emails myself and they usually come with a bill attached to them. Yeah. Well, that's what I was about to say. You know, there's one tiny catch. I had to pay for it. You know, and I was like, <laughs> Oh man, you know, but uh, we had negotiate down. Now they wanted something along the lines of, I don't know, like $75 for a 30 minute broadcast on one station and all that. And I said, I'm, uh, I'm not doing that. <clears throat> and uh, over a course of a couple of weeks, we got it down 
to $25 per station for a 30 minute broadcast. And well, maybe it must be more than that because the grand total was $600 a month. Right. Right. So if they had 12 stations, that would be roughly about $50 a station per episode or right. per month or however uh, y'all figured it out. Well, yeah. It, whatever it was, it came down to $125 a week. Okay. And it was on four major markets in the United States. So whatever that came out to be, but it was one 30 minute broadcast per week. Okay. Today I call that a commercial. All right. <laughs> it's not a program, but I thought it was something. Right. But I signed the contract. I said, okay, you know, $600 a month. It'll be tight, but you know, $500 a month, whatever it was, $500 a month. And then the months where you got those extra few days in there, they came up to 600 a month. Uh, $6,000 a year is what it was. But I was like, I can afford that right now because I'm still working. Well, as soon as I signed the contract about three months later, I get this, you know, letter because the normal processing time for someone who's going to retire is about a year uh, for our department. And in February, they, they made the decision, we're going to have you retire, start getting your paperwork together, submit it. And my wife and I prayed over this packet on April 3rd of 2011. And I prayed over it and I said, Lord, I don't want to be in limbo for a year. If this is what your plan is, I want you to show up and show off. On May 20th, something like that, I got a letter in the mail, congratulations on your retirement. <laughs> so now, uh, all of a sudden, this is going to be a huge, big deal, you know, because I'm living on a reduced income. We got to pay for this bill. Well, I got a little bit ahead of myself, but uh, about, oh, because this, all this started in 2010 with the radio station towards the summer of 2010 is when they were talking about the retirement issue. And I'm like, Oh, what are we going to do? And as Laura said, you know, I've called a lot of other people, a lot of other pastors to preach the gospel on the radio. They can't afford to either. So I want you to start your own online radio station. And make it so affordable, nobody can say they can't do it. It's like, okay, I don't know what that is or how to do it, but uh, that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. What do you want me to charge? Because I'm thinking, oh, we're going to be a radio station. You know, this is going to be awesome because I'm paying radio bills, right? I know, you know how much they can charge. Because I want you to make it free. Uh, Lord, you do realize there's expenses with this, right? He <laughs> said, like, just trust me, all right? And that's the second time he told me, just trust me. So we did. And October 4th, 2010, what is now Evangelism Radio was launched. We've been going 24-7 every day since October uh, 4th, 2010. Just celebrated our ninth anniversary, now into our 10th year. Yeah, that's and, a big achievement. Congratulations on that. Yeah, uh, appreciate it. <clears throat> okay, so I want to, uh, you know, Touch on a couple of things. One, um, you know, with, with you, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's about your faith in God and a calling from him. Uh, me over my lifetime, I've benefited a lot by having, by having faith. If I don't, if I haven't until recently exactly had a religion or a church, I've always had the faith. Um, but for other people who are trying to accomplish their goals and dreams, some of them, it may just have to be faith in the, in the, in the mission or the goal or themselves, which is, 
which is not as good. Um, they'll usually have to depend more on their own personality or support from their friends. Uh, but, it, but either way, it comes down to having faith in, in what you're, what you're trying to do. Amen. Okay. Um, the other thing is, is, let's go back to when you started your first podcast and you were sitting in the basement at your computer. Okay. Um, what were some of the things that you had to figure out that you had never had any experience with before? And what were some of your solutions? Well, the first podcast I did, and I did this for about six months. My recording device was my cell phone. And I would call into this line because it was a free site. Okay. Yeah. And I would call in and they would record the call and then it would be saved. And from there, people could go and listen to it and things like that. So, you know, the technological aspect was simply for me to be able to call in and access that little server. And sometimes because I'm calling from the basement, remember? Uh, yeah. It was, it was a challenge you know, sometimes. Well, uh, and it sounded, I mean, you know, it yeah. sounded like I was talking on a cell phone. Right? Yeah. Technology, the technology wasn't anywhere near that good in 2004 no. or 2007. Um, and I remember doing interviews as a guest myself on uh, the Brian the Hammer Jackson show on a platform called Blog Talk Radio, which is also a free platform for people. And I remember my first show and listening to it after it was over with. And first I was horrified by how badly I did on the show. And the second, it was like, man, this audio stinks. You know, <laughs> I was calling on a flip phone. So that was, that's what I was using. <laughs> uh, yeah. 2013 was my first interview on that show. It was the first time I ever did radio as a, as somebody owning my own business or trying to promote myself. So, uh, and and, you know, those, those recording platforms, they, you know, they work well there. Um, and especially as they've, they've gotten better, people can call in from other parts of the world, which is one of the few benefits they had at that time. So, yep. Amen. all right. So you had your audio quality and I'm guessing you were calling from your basement. So you pr probably yep. didn't have the best acoustics on top of your phone quality. So that's correct. Yep. That yeah. So correct. did you, so did you just think, okay, I'm going to just do my best show and depend on people to ignore the quality issues, or did you find ways to make the quality better? Or both? Well, uh, because the cell phone would sometimes drop, you know, in the middle of the call, and I had to try and call back in, and it was just <laughs> a big hassle. Uh, my son-in-law, he said, well, why don't we set it up where you can use your computer to call in? And I said, how do you do that, right? So like I said, I am not technically yeah. gifted in this area. Right. So he set it up where I could access it via the computer platform. And we got a little headset with a boom mic. And <laughs> that improved the quality so much. I was like, wow, this is awesome, you know? And I started getting the following. It was like, you know, I had, you know, when I do go in, because you do those calls live, Right. I would, you know, and it wasn't me accepting phone calls. I was just preaching basically. And right. Podcast. Yeah. And I ended up getting, you know, 20, 30 people listening to me at, you know, per show. And I'm like, wow, this is really awesome. You know? Yeah. And, you know, and then when the Lord said, I want you to, you know, make your own radio station, 
Now, how do I do that? Because obviously I couldn't use, you know, what I was, the platform I was using. It wasn't blog talk radio. It was something even cheaper, right? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you get cheaper than free, but, but notice something people, um, either he expressed his, uh, his frustration to his brother or his brother noticed that he was struggling. Somehow this subject came up that audio quality was an issue he was offered a solution, and instead of letting his pride or his ego get in the way of accepting that solution, he's like, I don't know how we do it, but if it'll make the quality better, then let's try it. That's and, exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. Well, when we started Evangelism Radio, the Lord had given me a list of 10 things that we were supposed to, well, I'm sorry, that was Evangelism The first platform we were on for the radio station was Live 365. Okay. And that's where we started. It was called FTF Christian Radio at the time, Freedom Through Faith Christian Radio. We started with one broadcaster. That was me. And within, uh, oh, about six weeks or so, we were up to like 10 broadcasters. And you could play music on there. So it was, it was a radio station. It was getting a, a following. We started at the very bottom of the charts. And we're slowly inching our way up. And I would still do my recordings because I have a daily broadcast plus one on Sunday. So I was doing a daily broadcast and loading it to the platform. Sometimes I'd record in advance, but it was still a you know 30 minute broadcast, all that. And then I got smart. I said, why don't I just do my Sunday morning one hour program and then divide it up into five segments and load it. And that's kind of the pattern that we've been doing now ever since then. But Live 365 was the platform that we started with. Yeah. And I reached out to several major ministries and several of them gave us permission to use their stuff on the radio station. Yeah. And it was awesome. We were going along just fine. We we're slowly going up in the charts and the quality, because I had this headset and then I went and purchased an even, you know, the first headset was like 1995. Right. Uh, yeah. So then we went you mean, and we spent you mean like, $19.95, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. From Walmart or something, right? Yeah. Uh, so then we went and I purchased one for like 40 bucks, 39.95. And the quality difference was even more drastic. Wow. You know, I'm sounding professional now. This is awesome. You know, <laughs> and fast forward to 2013 and summertime right in that area. Uh, Laura's out this platform is not doing everything I want you to be able to do. I want you to be able to go live in any time zone around the world so that any broadcaster in any time zone in any country, if they have connection to an internet can do live broadcasts, just like traditional radio over this platform. And then he gave me a list of 10 things that he wanted this station to be able to do. I was talking to my son-in-law about it and he said, well, you know, if we had have this, 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 and this, and he added four more things to it, he said, it'd make it perfect. And over the summer and into the fall, we tested five or six different platforms. Didn't like any of them until early November. We found at the time it was called wavestreaming.com. And this not only had the 10 that the Lord gave us, it also had the four items my son-in-law said we needed. This is the first one we found doing that. And that's who we went with. And that was starting Evangelism Radio. Now, at the time, I had Evangelism Radio and the one on Live 365, FTF Christian Radio. And it was just, a, you know, everything was mirrored. It was basically the same broadcast, except right. different platforms. I figured different audiences, you know, it only takes me a few yeah. minutes to, to mirror it. 
who knew that in December of 2013, Live 365 went bankrupt. All of a sudden, we got a letter in the mail or an email that said, sorry, we're now going dark, right? And Live 365 and FTF Christian Radio just went away. It was gone. We didn't miss a beat because Evangelism Radio had already been going along, catching traction. So I just emailed, you know, and put social posts out that this is where we're at now. Come find us, you know. And Evangelism Radio within seven or eight months, eight months of that, because August of 2014, we became number one in the world as ranked by shoutcast.com for Christian talk radio the very first time. Uh, we had shot up the rankings that much. And now Evangelism Radio is heard in over 160 nations, all 50 states. We have, at one time, we had 60 broadcasters. We're, I think we're at 52, 53 right now. Uh, that send us programming every single week. And like I said, we've been operating 24 uh, seven the whole time. And the podcast that you were on, the Kingdom Crossroads podcast, was basically an extension of the radio station as a way for me to interview the broadcasters. But, right. We're going uh, to get to that in just a minute. I just want to okay. uh, break in here. Um, okay. So you had been trying to, uh, okay. Uh, this is uh, the What's Your Excuse show, and you can find me at theblindblogger.net. Um, and I'm talking with Bob Thibodeau. He's a uh, preacher, public speaker, author, podcast host, and radio uh, network owner. And you can find him at bobthibodeau.com. And, uh, yeah, I understand that the, the idea was originally you were going to interview the hosts on your network and try to promote them and draw more traffic to the, to the station. That's correct. Yep. And you got no question? Or you no, to... I'm, I'm good. Go ahead. I just... Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. That was the whole purpose of the podcast. Right. And you know, it'd be like one this month, maybe two next month, then maybe skip a couple months and do two more and then skip a month, do three. And it was just hit and miss all over the place. But one day I got an email from a publicist wanted me to do, to do an interview for an author who's just releasing a book. I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem. And that was so much fun, so interesting. And I guess I did a good job because he gave me a great review on it. And then I got a couple more contacts from the publicist. And I, I guess publicists talk to each other. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked to each other. Yeah, that, soon I had other publicists reaching out to me. And I found out that their stories, like your story, Maxwell, is so interesting because the pastors I was interviewing were all cookie cutter. You know, I was lost, got born again, got called, went to school, now I'm a pastor. I was lost, got born again, got called, went to school, now I'm a pastor. It's just like lockstep, each one of them. But yeah. Everybody's individual stories is what makes the interview process so much more interesting, you know? And, you know, I've done musicians, I've done missionaries, I've done Christian business owners, they're secular businesses, but, you know, they operate according to Christian principles, think Chick-fil-A type thing, right? Yeah. Uh, nonprofit leaders. I mean, it's just, you know, I've interviewed television program hosts. I just did an interview last week with Dr. David Reagan from Christ and Prophecy television show. Uh, just a great interview. But these doors have been open for me because of this platform and because of the interviews. And we've now had, well, the what I technically call the launch of our podcast when I started doing this type of interviews uh, was 
January 1st of 1918, it's 2017. Okay. Uh, so we just coming up now, in your third year now. Yeah. Just in the coming up on the third year and we've had 600 episodes. I've done over 400 interviews and it's just so much fun when I do these interviews. Every interview is an enlightenment <coughs> to me. I learn something from every interview. And, it, you know, sometimes someone will uh, say, hey, what about if you did it this way? That's like the microphone I use now is the Blue Yeti. Uh, so, you know, if you use the Blue Yeti, it'd be even now there's other ones out there, dynamic microphones with the, the cords that plug into sound boards. On. I don't have all that. So I still use a USB mic, but I right. use a Blue Yeti and that's what I'm using today. And the quality between the headset that I was using and the Blue Yeti, it just blew me away. I mean, it, I, I actually did a test recording with the cell phone, a test recording with the first headset, a test recording with the second headset, and a test recording. And in between all that, I also had the Snowball microphone and then the Blue Yeti. And when I played it for our board of directors, I mean, the, you could just see the difference in their, just their faces. I mean, like, wow, that sounds awesome. And compared to the cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talk, talk a little more about the fun, because I think a lot of people that are thinking about starting a podcast, they get caught up in all the, uh, the details of, of putting their podcast out there. They get too focused on the technology and they forget about the enjoyment and the, the energy levels that can be affected by having great conversations with people like we do. Absolutely. The, you know, as I said, I am not still, I am not a technically inclined person, right? Uh, but I have learned, and as I said in the beginning, I basically taught myself. Does this work? Nope. Okay. Does this work? Oh, I don't know what I just did. Nothing's working now. And I call my son-in-law <laughs> and either come over with you. He'd try usually I say, okay, go up here, click this, click this. What do you see? Okay. Click this. Does it work? Yeah, it works now. Okay, great. What'd I do? Don't worry about it. It's fixed. You know, <laughs> and uh, you know, and then if I really broke something, he'd have to come over and fix it. <laughs> but uh, because of the repetition involved, because once you get into it, it's really the same thing over and over, but just a different program. But it's always the same format, the same steps involved. And what I would do is I was keeping a notepad. You know, he'd tell me, okay, in order to go live, you need to do this. In order to record this, you need to do this. And I'd be writing these steps out. And I'd have that notepad in front of me. And that's what I would do. Okay, click here. Okay, click here. Okay, click here. Hit record. Boom. Ah, it works type thing, right? <laughs> And just over repetition, I was learning that. Now, then I'd be talking to someone and, and they'd be, I don't, I just don't know how to do it. Oh, all you got to do, uh, look, you know, I'm talking to them on their phone and say, okay, look up here. Do you see this? Yeah. Click that. Okay. Now, do you see this? Yeah. Okay. Click that. You see this? Yeah. Okay. Hit record. Oh, wow. I, it's working type thing. All it's made me sound like I was so brilliant. Really all I was doing <laughs> was the same thing my son-in-law told me, you know? Uh, yeah, the problem with that is people will start to assume you know what the heck you're doing, and you won't be able to dissuade them from that opinion. <laughs> exactly. Whenever yeah. I go speak somewhere, especially if it's in the ministry, we're talking about the radio station. Uh, my 
traveling crew, I guess, say involves my son-in-law, my daughter. They usually use operate the video cameras and things like that. And uh, I'll tell everyone, you know, see that guy right there? That's my son-in-law, Chris. This radio station, he is really the radio station. I'm just the voice, you know. If it wasn't for him and the setup he's got, I would not be doing what I'm doing today, you know. And I, I that that is the honest to God truth. But yeah, yeah. the it's just the repetition that I learned, basically yeah. self taught. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a that's a perfect example. When we aren't capable of doing something, we have to we have to invite those people in to to help us. And it can be family members, it can be uh, people who right. you, who have met you online or in person who yeah. have taken a liking to you that may want to volunteer their services. It can be actually paying help. Uh, it can be formal interns through colleges or even high schools. Some of them now. So there's, yeah. but you know, knowing what you're capable of and then getting, uh, allowing and encouraging other people to help along on your, on your journey is, is usually how we get things like that done. So exactly. it's very, very lucky, very, very blessed for you to have people in the family who, uh, who either know that stuff or have learned it and can teach it to you. You know, that's, that's a great blessing. Yeah, and exactly. so when, all right, you talked a little bit about starting the, uh, the, the radio, uh, network and are there are there problem are there things with it now that uh continue to challenge you or do y'all pretty much have it all straightened out it's pretty much self-operating i mean i dedicate at least four hours a day to it uh just to keep things running smooth and loading files i'm editing files all the time that people are sending me uh you know broadcaster will send something in and it might be 52 minutes long and, you know, they have a half hour program, right? And a half an hour in radio. And, and this one thing I, I did appreciate from being part of the Wilkins communication, you know, radio system and, and all that. I learned so much about radio broadcasting from them about, you know, the, that's really when I got the quality headset and things like that, uh, instead of just talking on the cell phone, because quality is everything and being able to stick to the timetable right? With radio, you have a time slot and they don't care if, you know, you're wrapping up and you go, okay, I only have three more minutes. I'm just going to keep going and finish. At the end of your time slot, they cut you off mid-sentence, right? It just goes <laughs> to the next broadcast. So I learned about, you know, staying on time, how to edit files, uh, how to load files to a server because you had to, for that rate I was getting, I had to actually load it to the server for them and, and different things like that. So, I learned that. And then as we were growing our radio station, I was implementing that on a daily basis. And now it's so easy for me to take all these files. Like I said, there's 52 different broadcasters. And I would say somewhere along the lines of 30 of them, I have to do edits on. And some of the people, you know, the, the other ones, the, the other 22, they're already edited. They send me the complete file. It's just basically a drag and drop type system into our city. I take, I have two servers, the public server and then the private server that is the radio station. And, you know, they'll drop it into the public server. I'll take it from there and transfer it over to the private server. And it's just drag and drop and it's on the radio. Then the other, you know, people that send me their files, it might be a, they have a 52 or 48 minute file and they have a, you know, half hour program, half hour for the radio is actually a 28 minute time slot because of what 
commercials, right? Even though we're a nonprofit, I don't have commercials like, you know, buy Dove soap or anything like that, but it's commercials <laughs> for the radio station. It's commercials for the broadcasters, uh, different things like that. And that gives me uh, the opportunity. Let's, let's say that someone sends a file and it's 28 minutes and 45 seconds long. I don't have to edit it. I'll just go ahead and play it and remove a couple commercials, right? Uh, but I have to add intro music, outro music, and things like that uh, to some of these files. And it sounds like it's a big process, and it was. And it, thank God for small beginnings, because when I first started uh, Live 365, and I was doing these edits, and I only had 10 broadcasters, and four hours on a Sunday afternoon, I could have all the edits done and the radio station loaded for the whole week and just walk away from it, and it'd be good to go. Uh, when you got 52 broadcasters, and some are on Sunday only for an hour. Some are Sunday only for a half hour. Some are Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Some are Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Some are just Saturdays. It's all over the schedule. And when I have to do edits, I actually sit down on Saturday, and I'm there for about seven or eight hours just doing the edits to all these files. But I have it down to such a process that it's easier for me just to do it than it would be to try and train someone else to do <laughs> I train someone else to do it. I have to do it anyway, right? Uh, well, you might. It depends, on how good, it depends on how good you trained them and how talented they were to start with. So, right. But, yeah, but you not, more than likely would end up having to do it anyway, or, or you'd yeah, at least yeah. have to review their work to make sure you yeah. were happy with it. Yeah, and then someone says, you know, they, after about four or five months, they're really getting to the flow of, like, I got another job bagging groceries down at the grocery store. Uh, see ya. You know, yeah. all that time, you know, so I just took it on myself that I'm just going to do it and we're going to go with it. But uh, yeah, it has gotten, uh, at, you know, uh, we started totally free, just trusting God for the offerings. And from October 4th, 2010 to today, the budget has been met every month. We've never had one month where the budget has not been met. Uh, yeah. But about a year or so ago, we got up above 60 broadcasters and the offerings were you know, barely meeting the budgets. And I was getting burned out. I was working. This is little, I am not exaggerating this. I was literally working 12 and 14 hour days, seven days a week to keep up with everything. And I was getting burned out. I had not had a day off in like three and a half years. Right. And my wife was getting mad at me because I'd come into the radio station in, in my office here uh, at, you know, eight, eight thirty in the morning, and not leave till 11 o'clock at night. Uh, so she was getting upset with me. I'm getting burned out. And one day I just said, you know what? I don't need this anymore. I'm going to quit. And I sent an email to all the board members say, you know what? I'm burned out. I'm done. You know, I'm tired of, and they talked me into staying. And I said, I'm tired of worrying. Am I going to have the money come in to pay the bills on time and all that? They said, well, maybe it's time to start charging. And I said, oh, I didn't want to do that. Cause I, you know, that's, I said, no, it's, there's nothing wrong with charging a small fee to people. So that's what we set up. And it's, it's small. I mean, if you went to our website, evangelismradio.com and looked at the pricing chart, you could have a one hour broadcast seven days a week live, which is the most expensive plan. You could do live one hour a day, seven days a week. And it's like $75 a month, right? You can't do that on a traditional radio station. That's uh, <laughs> that's, that's two and a half dollars a day. Yeah. 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 
if you wanted to do somewhere, the somewhere programs, it's like 50 bucks a month. Yeah, some somewhere there are people who use very foul language about you. I'm sure. Oh, but, I, that's why we went from over sixty. We dropped down to like forty-five in a week's time, which oh. was fine with me because these people weren't contributing anything in offerings anyway, right? Uh, yeah, I was doing it as a service to them, and they got upset because now we we're going to go to an invoicing system. So they, you know, and we built back up from forty-five to fifty-two or whatever we're at now. But new yeah. people coming on understand what the rules are. Yeah, uh, but I, again, I don't try and make you know uh, we're not making millions of dollars or anything like that. But it is nice to have the extra money in the bank to know that if a computer breaks, I can get a new one. You know, yeah. like that. So, yep, yeah. that's, and that's where we're at. It's it's been awesome. Uh, you know, I've got some time back. Like I said, now I'm down to four hours a, a day instead of sixteen. You know, except on Saturday, which is an eight-hour day. So yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of people who do who do podcasts, you know, um, they eventually get into public speaking, and I know that you do that now, and you also have done some event planning, and um, I w- was hoping you would tell the story you told me the other day about your about your first live event uh, up in <laughs> up in Dallas, because I think the way you handled it was 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 very encouraging, considering the kind of money we were talking about, because I've you know, I'm known for finding the positive in life, and and I've written a couple of posts about uh, about book signings where, you know, where where nobody showed up. But I didn't have real money invested in any of that. Only my only my pride and my and my reputation was all I had tied up with. So, but I just thought this was a great story, and it's the kind of thing that we really like here on the What's Your Excuse show. We're real big on stories, especially if. Uh, you know, if there's some drama, some tragedy, and eventually some some good news at the end, kind of stories, you know. And there, so I would love it if you if if you would tell that story again about your first event. That I really enjoyed it. I think absolutely, absolutely. The uh, what happened? Oh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, okay. Uh, I seen. Uh, Sorry, give my thoughts here again. Okay. I attended Bible school 1998-1999. And after graduating, I decided, you know, well, I know I want to share the gospel and I want to hold up my own meetings. So I was going to do it the old-fashioned way, right? And I was going to go and, and you know, rent an auditorium or a, a storefront or a convention, you know, not a huge convention center, but, you know, a smaller meeting room somewhere and hotels, whatever. And that's where we'd hold our meetings. And, you know, the first couple I did, eh, you know, was, eh, so-so, because eh, it was in a local town and, you know, was, eh, whatever. So I decided we're going to do this right. We're going to have a huge event and we'll hold it out of town, which is, Abilene, Texas to Fort Worth is about two and a half, three hours. Yeah. And that, you know, nobody knows who I am, but we'll promote it and we'll make it look like, you know, there's big things coming to town. And now I need some headliners. So I reached out to Trinity Broadcasting Network, went on their website because I had seen some of the people singing on there and all that and reached out to Vern Jackson. Cause you're talking Texas, right? Country music, you know, right. Vern Jackson was a, a, basically a country gospel singer. So I reached out to him and he agreed to come out to our meeting. 
and I had to pay him a thousand dollars and he'd take care of his own airline ticket. And I thought, awesome. Okay. Now I had met through, remember I was the insurance agency I had. One of my board members was good friends with a gospel saxophonist named Vernard Johnson, Dr. Vernard Johnson. Uh, he's really popular in the Church of God in Christ, which is uh, African-American uh, church. And he was known as the world's greatest gospel saxophonist. And I got to meet him. And quick story on that, because it's awesome. He was coming to our town. I lived in Colleen, Texas, outside of Fort Hood. And my board members, hey, Bernard is doing a banquet in Colleen. I'm going to come down for it. Do you want to come meet him? And I said, what day is it? And he told me the time. I said, oh, I have an insurance appointment that night at five o'clock, but I'll come as soon as the appointment is over. And I'll walk in and said, okay, I'll save you a seat. All right. And he says, I said, you know, is there, do I have to dress up or anything? He said, no, just, you know, wear whatever you want. I said, okay. So I'm on the insurance appointment in a polo shirt, white polo shirt and khaki pants. So I go over to the hotel where this thing is at and it's already going up and he, the guy told me, he said, now, when you walk in, just look at me because I'll find me because I'll have a seat next to me for you. Is I'll probably be the only white guy in the place. I said, okay, not a problem. So I get there. I go to the door. And, you know, the guy says, can I help you? I says, yeah, I'm looking for a friend of mine. He's here. And I see Doug James. He's up on the stage. Bernard Johnson is speaking. And Doug James is sitting in. There's like four or five chairs off on the side. And he's in one of these chairs with a couple other people. And he sees me at the door and he waves and flags me in, right? And I'm thinking, oh my God, everyone here is in black tie. I'm in a white polo shirt and <laughs> khakis, right? And then Bernard sees me and he says, oh, here's the other guy we're waiting on. Yeah, come on up. <laughs> now, when there's a thousand people in the room and the guy speaking says, oh, here's the other guy we're waiting for. Every head in the place turns <laughs> and finds you, right? And they follow me as I go all the way up to the platform and up on the stage. And I sit down next to Doug James and he leans over and says, told you I'd save you a seat. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But Bernard was awesome. It was a great concert. And I got to meet him afterwards. And uh, I arranged for him to come to a church. It's probably six months later in the town and, and he performed there and he liked the way I'd set everything up. Anyway, I had reached out to him to do the second night at the Abilene Convention Center. And I said, I figure one night would be the country version, and then the next night would be the uh, saxophone gospel concert. And that's the way we promoted it. And I did television advertising. I did radio advertising. I did newspaper advertising. I sent flyers to the churches. And then, you know, my wife and I and the family, my crew drove out there the day that the concert was supposed to happen with Verd Jackson. And we got to the convention center to set up. And the guy said, where have you been? I goes, what do you mean? He goes, we had probably 60 to 100 people show up last night. But last night? He goes, yeah, we told him that it wasn't until tonight. But I thought maybe we had our dates wrong. I said, no, it's supposed to be tonight. And then I looked at the newspaper. And I had put the wrong dates on all of the advertising. Every one of them. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this is not good. And we set up, met Vern Jackson. He did his sound checks and stuff. And this was a 2,000-seat auditorium. Now, I wasn't expecting to pack it out. 
Uh, I think the bottom floor sat about 1,200, and the other 800 were up in the upper deck. And we had spotlights. I mean, we had the whole thing going. This is supposed to be awesome. And I was going to sing to open the, the program. And I went backstage, and I was just praying, 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 praying real hard. And my assistant would come in and said, don't tell me how many people are here. Just tell me that people are coming in. That's all I want to know. I don't want to, I don't want to know numbers until I actually walk out on stage. And he said, okay. So he come in and say, people coming in? He said, yeah, you could say that. I said, okay. He said, do you want to know? No, I don't want to know. And when I walked out on stage, there was a grand total of seven people in the audience (laughs) and a 2000 seat auditorium, 13 people. If you count my crew, right? Yeah. And that was Vernar or Vern Jackson's audience, 13 people in a 2000 seat auditorium because I had screwed up. And we had ordered t-shirts just specifically with the dates of that concert. I mean, I had gone all out because this was going to be a huge thing. And the offering that night was something like $15. It cost me $1,000 per night. Right. And I got two nights. Yeah. Luckily, the night that for the next night, Vern, I mean, not Vern, Bernard Johnson had promoted this concert to his network of people. And he had the nights correct in his advertising. And we packed the place out. There was probably 900 to 1,000 people there that night. And he took the offering. The deal was it was going to be 50 50 on the offering. And when he found out what happened the night before, he just gave me the entire offering to pay for his night. And, you know, he, he made money off his CD sales and things, video sales and things like that. But, you know, he just gave me the entire offering. It was about $1,000. So that took care of his bill. But I still owed $1,000. And it took me probably a year to pay that off. I And that was... That was a learning experience about double checking dates, double checking your work, have somebody else proofread all your ads and make sure that it's right. Because it was a very costly, costly mistake, but one that I've never forgotten. Yeah. And have you, have you put on any events since that one? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. I Uh, thought so. Yeah. I've been, uh, you know, several, I won't say a lot, uh, but I, I guess over then, that would have been 1999 or 2000. So that would have been, what, 19 years ago? And yeah. I've done probably a dozen over those years. Uh, for the church that I was attending at the time, I was the special event pastor, special event coordinator pastor. So, you know, they were holding a major event. I'm the one who did because, well, Fast forward a little bit more from that. Uh, because of that Abilene concert, because of the all the core, I mean, I had put it all together. I had pieced everything together. It just had the advertising wrong. It's the only thing that was wrong, <laughs> advertising. Bernard was so impressed, he hired me about two months later because he wanted me to come in and uh, help him with a concert up in Oklahoma. I said, okay, no problem. So I went up and I set everything up for him and got it running and introduced him. That. that night, he asked me to come to work for him as his national concert coordinator. And wow. 
He said, what, what do you need? What, what do I need to pay you? So I told him, you know, this is how much money I need. It was like $2,000 a month back then. And he said, okay, you got it. He said, I need you to work for me. Well, what that meant was, you know, he'd come in and he'd say, Bob, I think the Lord is leading us to go to San Diego, set it up. From the time he said that until they said, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Bernard Johnson, everything had to pass <laughs> The location, the venue, the insurance, the flights, the meals, who's going to be on stage, who's going to be, you know, the guest speaker, who's, you know, they advertise everything passed through me. There were times we'd be at the airport. This is before cell phones, right? And I would be waiting for the flight using a, a calling card, you know, AT&T calling card. Yeah, and phone credit card. That to call the location I'm going to six weeks from now. Right, because when we finish the concert in Minneapolis, I'm flying to Richmond, Virginia, to promote the concert that is taking place six weeks later while Bernard goes home. Right, and when I land in Richmond, I'd have a driver, and they'd take me around to like ten or twelve churches where I could speak at the announcements, tell them promoting the concert. So it was not unusual for us to leave Dallas, Texas, on Friday morning. To I'll just pick towns to go to Minneapolis, do a concert Friday night, leave Saturday morning, go to Wichita, Kansas, and do a concert there, and then fly to Richmond, Virginia, Sunday morning to promote the concert six weeks later. Right? That was my life. I was basically his road manager. Yeah. Uh, I learned so much about ho holding and what had the coordination for major events. And that's why at the churches that I would be in, they would make me the special event pastor. So if they wanted to hold a major something, a revival or whatever, then I was the one who would coordinate everything. And so I've done several events over the last, you know, 20 years, uh, including some of my own. Uh, they have drastic see. failures is the first one. I <laughs> <laughs> see. I knew there was, I knew there was a reason I wanted you to tell that story. I just didn't know what it was when I asked you other than it was a good story. I mean, think about this. You, <laughs> You put on an event that's a that at least one night of which is a is a is a disaster, and you end up getting hired out of it to a job that while it was you know stressful and a learning experience, it was well paying and enjoyable and you yeah. know, uh, so as I like to tell people, the mistakes aren't the worst things that can happen. Being afraid to make them is, and definitely yeah. you don't seem that's to right. be afraid of that. Um, yeah. You learn from your mistakes. That where it becomes tragic is when you continue doing the same stupid things over and over again. <laughs> as long as you learn from the mistake, you can grow. And and well, I had to grow from that one. I tell you, that was, yeah. My yeah my uh, my biggest learning experience is I've had to get to the point where. Um, I don't leave town unless somebody is somebody other than me is paying the expenses. Um, they don't necessarily have to write me a check, but uh, I do, they do have to they do have to assure that uh, that the plane ticket or the train ticket is covered and uh, there's a place for me to stay and somebody's going to feed me. You know, so Amen. because I'll because be I can't I can't afford to subsidize my own my own travels. Uh, yeah. You know, like some people can. So. Yeah. And so that's one of those things I've really had to learn. And the funny thing was, the funny thing is, is as soon as I, as soon as I made that a hard rule, um, events started showing up both local and in other parts of the country where people did exactly that, you know? Yeah. Yep. Amen. Yeah. That's, you know, my speaking career, it's mainly been local by local. I mean, within driving distance of Baltimore, uh, 
you know, I mean, I've, I've done yeah. a couple of, you know, ministry events, you know, across the country and stuff where people invite me out, but my actual, you know, speaking the quote unquote motivational, inspirational speaker uh, type thing. Uh, those have right. been mainly local because of the expenses involved in traveling and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. For me, Houston is is a difficult city because I live in in Conroe, which is 45 miles outside of downtown Houston. Mm -hmm. So uh, even traveling to Houston for an event is it requires a a decent amount of uh, of money either for Uber or for somebody that's willing to willing to drive for for their meals or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot seems to happen out in Conroe or the Woodlands as far as speaking events go, but you know, they, they are, um, but even Houston, you know, it's better than trying to get myself to Philadelphia or Chicago or something. So, um, I just want to, I want to, I, I, uh, I know time has gotten away from us and there's a lot of other things I'd like to ask you about. Um, like your, your podcasting course, uh, to teach people how to start their own podcast. But there's one question I want to make sure I don't forget to ask it. If I don't ask it now, I may. Um, several times during our talk, you've, uh, you've said that the, that the Lord called you or told you or gave you a list of things that you needed for the radio network. Um, how, how did these, how do these thoughts or instructions come to you? Can you, at least try to explain what you're meaning by the Lord told you, because I'm sure that's something a lot of people are listening or are, are thinking about and wondering about. Okay. Well, you understand that I started off podcasting with the cell phone over the free platform and I learned things along the way. And then we went to live 365 and learned that platform. And some of the things I liked, some of the things I didn't like, but we you know made a go of it. We, we learned along the way. And as the Lord was laying on my heart, you know, that this platform is not doing everything I would like it to do. Uh, mainly the live broadcast aspect. Live 365, you go, you could go live with live365.com, but you physically had to push the live broadcast button. And when you concluded, you physically had to push the stop live broadcast button. If you forgot and just walked away, it would continue to play <laughs> dead air, right? So if I had someone in Houston, that was doing a live broadcast and I was supposed to go on right after them. And they were in a hurry because the wife was come on, we're late for dinner type thing. And they hurry up, put their headset down and walked out. No, nobody could go live. Nobody, there would be no music. It'd just be dead silence. Right. So there was no way for me to go in okay. and kick them off because they had to use my credentials to lock on. Right. Uh, so as we were praying about that, Laura said, okay, you want to find a platform that will allow you to have a live broadcaster, but they'll automatically terminate their live broadcast for them at the end of their time slot, right? And that was a big sticking point for a lot of these things, but it was just knowing what was good on a platform and what was needful to do what the Lord was envisioning me to do with this platform, which was the whole whole embodiment of the whole thing was to be able to go live in every time zone anywhere in the world whatever there was a person that had an internet connection that was authorized for that time slot. So, you know, if I was doing a live broadcast from Beijing, China, I have a time (laughs) slot on the radio station. I can do so. You know, you can't have two at the same time. Servers won't allow it. Right. Right. And if someone walked away from their recording, 
the server, and it's done this to me on my Sunday morning broadcast. I could be going along and I let the time get away from me. I look up and I got one minute left and I still got like four minutes of notes. All right. And remember I'm recording for my daily broadcast too, not just the, the Sunday morning broadcast. So right. I was like, well, I'm repurposing, repurposing your Sunday to That's the rest right. of the week. Yeah. So I'll just continue on. And when 10 o'clock AM Eastern time rolls around, I'll see the little live button go off on my platform. <laughs> the recording's still taking place. I'm just not live broadcasting anymore. You know? Right. Right. So it, it, okay, that so you, does not discriminate <coughs> me off. <laughs> okay. So you would pray over every, every one of these decisions and then, then you yeah. would listen for that small voice to, to give you an answer as to what you, what you needed to do next in your, and that's something you've done all your life, or at least going back well, to till 1990, January 25th, 1992, is when I got born again. And that's when I started hearing that still small voice. And, you know, before any major decision, I'll pray about it. You know, uh, like we've been putting together a Christian podcast hosting platform, hosting and marketing for Christian podcasters only. It's called faithcasters.net. And that started 18 months ago. And we're now, we're probably within a week or two of doing the beta testing for it. And our target date is sometime January, 2020 of officially launching it, but it's that close now. But, you know, this was like, okay, is this something I really want to do? You know, and then pray about that. And, and then there'd be different things that happen with a host or something that we're doing. And, and somebody would say something, just a little confirmations like, yeah, okay, I think we need to do this. And I took them to the board of directors and, and we'll research it, tell us how much it'll cost. And, you know, it's all these little steps along the way where prayers are being answered, you know, like, how are we going to do this? How's this going to work? Uh, the people I've met, um, I got to meet John Lee Dumas up in uh, Philadelphia with EO Fire uh, podcast, Entrepreneur on Fire podcast, former cavalry officer, you know, just like I am. So we were hitting it yeah, I, I got to hear him talk, but I didn't get to meet him. So, yep. And uh, amazing you know, speaker. He pointed me out to Mark Asquith. He said, because I was telling him what my idea was, and, and I was wondering, you know, if he'd give me advice. He pointed me out to Mark Asquith, uh, who is the uh, basically the engineer behind all of that. I went and met him, and he was so impressed with what we're trying to do. He said, let's stay in touch because we got something coming that might help you out. And over the course of time, Mark Asquith and his team is who's developed the platform we're using right now. So it's, it's been awesome uh, for faithcasters.net, but little things like that, you know, you pray about it, a door will open, you go through it, you meet somebody who will then open another door for you. And that's what I'm talking about. Things like that. Okay. Well, I was, was, was hoping you would talk a little bit about it because I'm sure that, you know, as many times as you, as you referred to that, somebody was going to go, Max, why didn't you ask him about that? So, uh, <laughs> And I, I try to ask the questions that I would like to know the answers to, as well as the ones I think yeah. that somebody's going to write me an email and go, Max, what were you doing? Um, <laughs> well, well you know, I really we about that list, you know, that list was, you know, things that I did not like about the platforms we were on and what I would like to be able to fix it. And like I said, when I finally said, yeah, this would make a great radio station and present my son-in-law and he's looking at, it, and that's when he added four things to make it even better. And then the search began until we finally found a platform that did it. It's now called radio.co. At the time, it was called wavestreaming.com. Now it's dot right. .co, but the platform is basically, you know, the same. Evangelismradio.com is the radio station when he wants to go listen to it. It's awesome, if I do say All so. Right. 
Okay. <laughs> and, and why don't you tell them a little bit about your, your podcasting training program and your podcasting, uh, starting a podcast checklist or, okay. um, and then, sure. and then we'll, then we'll close off the show. Okay. Uh, because of, remember I was talking about the little checklist that I would have with me as I'm doing every episode until it got to be habit and I knew what to do. And then I started sharing this list with people and they go, well, how do I do this? And I just tell them, click here, click here. So, you know, and, and that's where this checklist came from. And I would meet people either on Facebook or in person or, you know, they'd email, how do I do this? Do you know how to do this type thing? And I say, well, tell you what, let me put this list together that I have. And if you just follow the list, it'll work. And I start sharing this list with people and, and it became my podcast creation checklist. And if you follow the checklist beginning in step one and do not skip any steps, by the time you get down to the end, you have your podcast <coughs> running. And it may even be monetized by that point in time. I can't guarantee <laughs> that, of course. But uh, the podcast creation checklist, you know, I, I share that with anybody who wants it. And matter of fact, I'm going to set up a special website just for you, Max. I'll send you the link. Uh, a web page just for you and the, your listeners. I'll send you the link to it. So it'll be included down in the show notes. Uh, right. They'll be able to download this checklist absolutely free. I'm not going to even ask for an email. Okay. This is just something click on it and download and save it. Uh, no opt-in required at all, but I can right. guarantee I will give them their money back. Remember it's free. <laughs> give them their money back. Uh, if they do not, if they follow that list completely and do not uh, have a podcast by the time they finish. All right. What is what is step what is step one? I'm just curious. What is your niche? Who is your audience? Who are you talking to? You know, okay. That's right. that is the number one thing because you know if I'm I decide I'm going to start a podcast on heart surgery, right? Who am I going to talk to? You know, is it the heart surgeons that I'm going to talk to? They might be interviewed. They might be my interview. Who is the target audience? That is the primary decision you need to make. Who are you ministering to? Who are you talking to? Because if I'm uh, going to minister to you know cardiac patients, but I know absolutely nothing about heart surgery, that's probably not going to work out too well. Right. <laughs> so it has to be something that you are good at, something that is of interest to you, and who is your target audience? Because it has to be interesting to them. Otherwise, you're just talking and nobody's listening. Right. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today and um, would, would love it if you would leave the audience with, uh, with, with just one, one final thought, um, something you think that will help them overcome their excuses and hopefully start accomplishing their goals. In the military, I used to have a, a sign behind my desk that said, now, in the military, you had to know your weapons inside and out. You had to know what your maximum effective range was, you know, because you didn't want to shoot at a tank with a pistol that was 300 yards away, right? It was not going to do anything okay. at all except make a match. Right. So you had to know what the effective use of the weapon was, and you had to know the maximum range that you could use that weapon for. And I had a sign behind my desk that said, the maximum effective range of an excuse is zero meters. In other words, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Uh, some, uh, another saying I had was, you know, cause people come in, they'll tell you, well, I got this problem, this problem, this problem. And I got it. And I say, look, don't tell me about the labor, labor pains. Just show me the baby. 
right? I don't want to hear about all the problems. Just show me the results, right? Okay. And uh, right. so I guess the biggest point I could say is don't make excuses. Just do it. You know, if you said that I'm going to do 10 push-ups every morning and then, well, you know, I've been kind of busy today and I didn't get around to do it. No, no, no. I don't want to hear the excuses. How long does it take to do 10 push-ups? Just do it. If I want to launch a podcast, but I don't know how to do it. Well, I didn't know how to do it either, but I did it. Max didn't know how to do it either. He did it. The point is, whatever it is you want to do, just do it. Like Nike says, just do it. Because yeah, hopefully they won't send us a bill. Yeah. If you want to hold a meeting, a concert in a 2000 seat auditorium for your first event, just do it. And boy, did I learn <laughs> lessons from that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, I really do appreciate you coming on the show. I've been talking with uh, Bob Thibodeau from King, from uh, King Crossroads, Cross, Cross, yeah, Cross Radio. And um, you can you can find him at bobthibodeau.com. Yeah. You can also book him as a speaker. You can check out that uh, pod, creating a podcast checklist. You can look yeah. look into if 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 you're you know if the person you're wanting to target is is something in the in the uh, in the Christian uh, ministry type arena, then you can look into possibly having your 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 podcast or radio show on his network. So just go over there and get to know Bob. You'll really enjoy the experience. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate it, and uh, and have a good day. Be blessed. Thank you. You too. Well, we had another great conversation again today, this time with Bob Thibodeau. And uh, I did enjoy being on this podcast. And um, I don't know when his will go live. Who knows? Maybe both of these will go live at the same time. Talking, you know, for him, it's all about his, it's all about his uh, faith in God, his trusting in the Lord and uh, praying over everything and asking for that still small voice to help him navigate those next steps. And me personally, I do have uh, faith in God. I'm a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's a very Bible-based faith where uh, the people who are the elders and leaders do their best to to uh, to pray over and listen to the Holy Spirit and hear what the real truth of the Bible is. So uh, I have prayed and I've been blessed and there've been many times in my life that uh, that God has come along and gotten me out of trouble that I got myself into. Um, but then what he is saying, you know, it also works for people who have uh, faith in their ability, their mission, their goal, their friends, their family. It's not the same. It's it's different. Uh, but we all have to have faith in something. And some people it's that uh, it's the universe, it's their higher power. So find someone or something that you can put that faith in that will help you during those dark uh, down times when things aren't going your way. Uh, Notice I had him tell the story about his uh, event that he planned because I wanted a good example of overcoming failure and disaster and seeing how it benefited him. And I, I didn't know the whole story when I asked him to tell it, but I had a feeling and it turned out I was right. 
that, you know, he ended up getting hired to what some of us would consider a dream job by putting on an event that didn't go so great. And we always learn, we make new connections, we make new friends, we build new relationships, we expand our circle of friends. And so even things that don't go so great, uh, you never know where they will lead. Like I imagine I could reach out to, uh, to the feller at uh, Dog Ears Books in Buffalo and um, he would prob- we would probably you know, talk about how bad things went last time and how things have been going for his store and you know, take it from there. So whether things go amazingly well or horribly wrong, always things to be learned from it, uh, uh, things to be gained from the experience. And then just look at how many times he had to reinvent himself, overcome setbacks, and move forward again. He loved being in the military, but he couldn't stay in the military. He loved being a cop, but physical, uh, his, the injury caused while working on the job, he couldn't be a cop anymore. So now he's a, a preacher, an author, podcast host, radio network owner, and he's working hard to teach other people how to be podcasters so they can tell their stories or they can deliver their ministries, however they feel about it. So very glad that I got to spend some time with Bob. And also I should mention that I did meet Bob at the Mid-Atlantic Podcasters Conference, which is now known as the Independent Podcasters Conference, which will have their sixth year later this year. So you can check out Bob at bobtibodeau.com. And I'll add the link because if I tried to spell it for you each time, it would take a while and I'd get it wrong half the time. But I will we'll let you know how to get a hold of him in the links. I want to mention a couple of things. One, uh, Alex at the Nito shop is the one responsible for my shirts being available for sale. Uh, He has made the process so easy for me to submit my artwork, to get demonstration prints of my shirts sent to me or to my designer so we can make sure that the shirts look as great in person as they do on the website. Um, He was uh, gracious enough to sponsor the uh, the website and my trip to uh, Erie, Pennsylvania just a few weeks back. Because of him, I was able to have some shirts to sell, and I was able to sell uh, four shirts. Plus, I got to wear a couple of them myself, which was really cool because I got lots of love on social media for them. Great quality, great prices. Um, I think of a very friendly ordering process. Uh, I've managed to do it with my screener without any problems. You can find him at neatoshop.com. That's www.neatoshop.com. And if you go to neatoshop.com slash artist slash the dash blind dash blogger, you'll go to my page where you can see the artwork I have available and the shirts you can order. Uh, You can even order messenger bags and other things too. So uh, go check that out. And then of course I have to, uh, you know, I just couldn't have gotten this far this year without help from uh, from Pam and Chip Edwards over at Create My Voice, and that's createmyvoice.com. Uh, they helped me get my website, my blog, my podcast out there where people can listen to it on their Alexa and Google devices. Uh, and, you know, if you want to find me, you can go to theblindblogger.net, but you can also say, Alexa, start the blind blogger, or you can say, Google, talk to the blind blogger. Um, either one of those. And of course you can say Alexa, uh, play, create my voice or okay. Google talk to 
create my voice and you can find out more about Chip and Pam's website. So this is something that's coming. Well, it's already here. There are millions of people getting their information, their, their blog posts, their podcast episodes through these wireless speakers. And if you're not on them, you're falling behind. You're missing out on a great opportunity to reach thousands, if not millions of people. And you can only do that if your website, your blog, your podcast have been optimized, set up so that they can be found. Plus, Chip does, just doesn't get you on these devices. He helps you create a branding strategy uh, to, to claim and protect your name as people use it to, to find your content on, online. And, you know, just like when you file for a domain name to make sure somebody else doesn't uh, grab your domain and use your name to create something else, same thing with these online speakers. And Chip, he knows it all as far as branding, promoting, maximizing. And so definitely check him out at createmyvoice.com. Um, well, that's it for another episode of What's Your Excuse? I've really enjoyed my conversation with Bob, and I look forward to seeing who I'm going to have next on the show. If you think you have a story worth sharing, then reach out to me. Go to justaskattheblindblogger.net. All righty. Until next time, thank you and take care out there. This is the blind blogger, Maxwell Ivey. This is What's Your Excuse? You know a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flows. And a dream is just a vessel that must follow where it goes, trying to learn from what's behind and never knowing what's in store. Makes each day a constant battle, or just a stay between the shows.